great to see every one of you today. I hope you're finishing up your summer in an excellent way. Uh, yeah, the old guy's back. Um, yeah, I, I had to take a couple of weeks to uh, see what the young guns could do, and we have a great teaching team here. But uh, yeah, absolutely, great teaching team. And so I'm really not supposed to be here, but it was like watching football come back, and I was watching the, the Patriots practice, and you know, seeing that, that championship team coming back again, and I began to see all those pieces come together. I was like, coach, put me in, I gotta play ball. I need to be able to play. So I, 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 I'm, I'm here today, great to see every one of you. Hope you're having a great summer. You know, we've been talking about this series called Plotline, which I think has been like one of the best series we've ever, ever done here at Crosstown because it restores this message of hope and purpose and meaning that Christianity was supposed to have. And, and we got kind of polarized over the last two years. And there's been a lot of things that have gone on in the news in our society that kind of tries to pull us in different directions. And, and Plotline kind of brings us back to what it's all about, what it's, what God really wanted to communicate to us. So we've talked about God. We've talked about forgiveness and atonement. We've talked about the image of God. We've talked about being the temple of the spirit. Then last week, Brian talked about being priests of God, which is really cool. And, and I just want to let you know, uh, last week I did the announcements. That's all they would let me do. So at the end, I talked about this Catholic priest that was very significant in my life, that when I was 17 years of age, he dumped some oil on my head and told me that I was anointed for ministry. Well, I decided this week to go find that guy. So he's an 80-year-old pastor in Boston, just South Boston, and he is still doing ministry at 80, which I thought was awesome. Um, he had just recovered miraculously from an incurable disease, and he decided that he was probably not gonna retire for another three to four years and so it's like, dude, I mean, that's great. But the idea, what was keeping him alive was not only the mercies of God, but because he had something to preach to people. So I, he had dumped the, the oil on my head when I was 17. So I told him, I said, hey, do you remember that moment? And he's like, no. I'm like, do you, do you remember me? And he's like, no, but I remember your sister. And I'm like, you remember my sister? That's like, what an insult, you know? I'm nothing wrong with the ladies, but you know, as a dude, you wanna be remembered. So that taught me never think more highly of yourself than you ought, but he didn't remember me. So I paid him back and I said, well, I just wanna let you know, as soon as you dumped that oil on my head, it began five years of hedonism for me because I didn't wanna be a Catholic priest. And, uh, but the idea was that, that I learned from him is that your priesthood never gives up. It never ends. You don't outgrow it. You don't retire it. It is your influence of bringing something of God to people and something about people to God. And today we're gonna to be talking about what is that something or one of those somethings, but it's kind of a big something that we bring to people. And this is this attitude of generosity. I, I think it's something that all of us wanna be. I think when you think about all the emotions that you've had as a human being, when you think about the high ones, and, and you know, as somebody growing up in the 70s, we've, we've talked, we learned a lot of, ways to get good feelings. And so, um, but when I think about over my life, the best feelings that have ever entered into my psychology, into my personal experience, is the ones when I've experienced or I've demonstrated generosity. I mean, it's like when somebody all of a sudden does something incredibly kind and gracious to you, it's like overwhelming. And then when you do it to another person, and you know, you just feel like at the height of being human. 
It's, it's as if God wove into the human psychology uh, this idea of the height of generosity, how beautiful and wonderful it is. So today we're going to learn about this thing that we are called to priest to other people. Let's watch. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, 
that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. What a beautiful presentation on this subject. What a, what a great way to lay it out. And I, I think of looking at the, the biblical storyline and seeing that there's this give and tug on this issue of giving and taking. And that Yahweh creates this amazing world that's so flourishing. He takes Adam and Eve and creates them and puts them in this garden and everything's just oozing life and flourishing and reproducing and all this beauty is there. But then humans seem to switch the equation about having abundance and begin grabbing and taking and having on our own terms and we switch it. And I think we just now live hundreds of thousands of years later and we've wreaked havoc on the world with this unquenchable taking. And here we are in our generation and the taking is still here, but yet there is still this amazing loving God who is still giving to us in the middle of all this and that God never gives up on us. So I was thinking about how I, how I give and receive generosity and how it has impacted me um, most. Because most of us, I, I know a lot of you are like, oh, okay, this is where we go into tithing. I mean, a lot of you are thinking this is, we're gonna be talking about that. We're not even gonna talk about that today. This is, this is bigger than that. Because when you begin to think about generosity, generosity is, is far more elegant. Um, there's something about running into a person who is generous that there is this ethos, this character about them. Their personhood has generosity about it. It's not just one thing. It's not like I gave at the office or I gave a little bit of it here or there or I followed the rule. Generosity seems to be something that goes above and beyond the rule. It's almost as if it doesn't need a rule to govern it because it's, it excels the rule. But you know what it's like. You've probably run into one or two people who had an ethos of generosity about them. So today we're gonna to take a look at some of the ways that we can be generous. Because right now you may be thinking that you're generous in one particular way and God's gonna challenge you on something totally different. Also, you may not listen to anything that I say today. It is real possible. I realize that happens often on a Sunday morning. But what you may hear is this issue about scarcity. Am I affected by my fear 
of not having enough. I think that's a big deal. I think a lot of us are concerned about, our, and when we look at a culture that may be moving into a deep uh, inflationary recession type of experience, that we're really concerned about that. So God may be speaking to you on a couple different levels, but let's take a look at some of the areas where generosity is supposed to be expressed. Let's first talk about generosity of spirit. This is really big. A generous mind towards understanding other people. We could call this approachability. How approachable are you? I mean, really approachable. See, too often we're generous with people as long as their mind is in alignment with us. We don't really mean to walk around like this with everybody, uh, evaluating their ethics, their morality, and their political party. But there is a sense about us that we can give off that we are not really generous of spirit, meaning that we really don't have room in us for someone that doesn't align themselves with us. I met a gentleman in the first service. He was visiting, him and his wife were visiting from Australia. And he told me that one of the research things that he had found out about Americans is that Americans are now separating into different groups, not because we have common likes, but because we have common hates. And he's like, it would seem to be hard for America to be sustained if we are a people who are separated, not based upon what we're passionate about, but we're separated based upon our hates. Um, too often we're only generous as long as if I think they are doing the right thing or if I think they will appreciate it, that that's where our generosity moves in those spaces. As long as you align yourself with what I think, I will be generous to you. As long as I think you're going to appreciate it, I will give to you. And I brought up a story of Jesus with the Roman centurion in Matthew 8. I won't read you the story, but... I thought it was interesting about Jesus and a Roman centurion and how there was very little cultural commonality between them. There was so much different about these two individuals, but yet the Roman soldier approaches Jesus about healing his servant. But there's no conversation about political alignment. Jesus doesn't kind of walk him through some political statement about what he believes compared to what the Romans believe about politics. Jesus doesn't put up his hand and, and has a conversation with them. Hey, before I'm generous with you, what I'm going to do is I need to ask you about prisoner exchange between the Romans and the Jewish people and how our prisoners are being treated because we need to get that right before I am approachable to you. Doesn't have a conversation like that at all. There was no conversation about this Roman soldier converting to Judaism. I will only be kind to you or generous with you, what you need from me, as long as you convert to my religious belief. No conversation about that at all. You know what's interesting? They didn't even have a conversation. This is really interesting, is that he's coming to ask Jesus to heal a slave. He never, Jesus never says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why do you have a slave? I don't agree with slavery. I don't agree with racism. Jesus doesn't even stop there with his generosity, but rather he just opens himself up to what this particular 
person needs at this moment and gives it generously. Too often, we make people jump through hurdles. We have to be in agreement with them. They have to be like us politically. They have to be like us, uh, believe all our Christian values before we will be generous with them. They have to be in alignment with us. And that's not generosity. It's this ability to be approached without your arms folded with, against a person, but rather just welcoming them into your life. Paul uses a phrase about being kind to the faint-hearted. And I, I, I kind of define it as this, is carrying someone beyond their own faith and strength. That that's what we're called to be generous, is that when somebody comes to the end of their own faith and strength, that you're willing to carry somebody further than they can go on their own. I've experienced this um, uh, with Roper St. Francis Hospital is that I, I have like four herniated ruptured discs in my back. Now I act like it's the worst thing in the world. And for me, it's like the third worst thing in the world. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of problems. You know, but these professionals, they, they're seeing MRIs that are way worse than mine. They're seeing people that have much worse conditions than I. And I'm willing to bet in my folder that up at the top in pencil, just like in a Seinfeld episode, there's probably a little bit, hey, be gentle with this guy. He's really scared. He's kind of a wuss. Um, give him some more pain meds and send him on his way. You know, um, and, and because there are times in our lives when we are all faint-hearted and we need somebody else to carry us. But nobody, in all my experience, I've never had a nurse or a, or a, a doctor or a PA come up to me and say, listen, you need to suck, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> I've seen much worse MRIs than this. You know, I don't know what you're complaining about. My physical therapist doesn't harass me saying, oh man, come on, get over it, or anything like that. But every one of them, they take this like, listen, this, we've seen worse, but you know what? This is your pain, this is your experience, and you're faint-hearted right now, and we're gonna carry you through it. See, that's what God wants us to be like. He wants us to carry other people. Sure, you don't agree with them. Sure, you may not like their lifestyle. Sure, they didn't vote for the same person that you vote for. Sure, they're maybe a different colored skin than you. Maybe they're not the same gender. But generosity of spirit knows no boundary. It knows no boundary. It doesn't have a political association. It doesn't have a race. It doesn't have a gender. It's open-hearted. It's, I love what it, how it describes Jesus. Isaiah 42.3. It describes Jesus' generosity of spirit this way. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish or snuff out. He will faithfully bring forth justice. It's like, what an expression of generosity of spirit. That if it's already broken, I don't break it more. If it's already going out, and faint-hearted, I don't snuff it out. And in this, the second, first service, the Spirit showed me the last part of this verse that we normally don't read. It says, and he will faithfully bring forth justice. See, I didn't, that doesn't seem to fit there. 
See, we think justice happens like this. Protest, fighting, war, argument, Facebook, bleh, bleh, bleh. Calling them murderers, calling them fags, calling them racist. You know, that's, that's Christianity today in America. But it says here that Jesus faithfully brought forth truth and justice, but in such a way, it didn't break a bruised reed and it didn't snuff out a smoldering wick. Did he compromise justice and truth? No, but he brought it forth with a generous spirit. My God in heaven, does America need this now more than ever? But it doesn't flow from Washington. It doesn't flow from Trumpism. It doesn't even flow from the American flag. It flows from the same source that made Eden rich and lush, it flows from the spirit of God. And we need that today. We need generosity of spirit, particularly with people that we don't agree with. Second one is this. Boy, wasn't that good? I mean, I've, I just feel so. You know, uh, the guy from New Zealand said that he's been traveling around listening to churches throughout the United States while they're visiting here. And he, he said, yeah, I haven't heard this message preached anywhere. Uh, that America is so divided even in churches. So I was kind of refreshed. It was kind of like, cool, cool, that's great. Um, All right, so the Catholic priest didn't remember me, but the New Zealand guy will. There we go, no, no, I'm only kidding. No, I'm only joking, because Father Father Hickey, that that was his name. Uh, That is his name, he's an amazing man. He's probably listening today. Uh, He was really impacted my life. Okay. Generosity of words, ooh, here we go. Jesus used words to pique interest in him. He did miracles and that kind of piqued interest, but he also used words. Listen to what Luke 4 talks, how it describes Jesus, verse 22. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips, cascading from his lips, gracious words, not ugly words, not, not slanderous words, not backbiting words, not jealous words, not condemning words, but gracious words that were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Now, if you decontextualize this, it's kind of fun. Um, and the reason why is because you gotta wonder how Joseph talked If Jesus talked in such a way, they're like, dang, I've been around Joseph and Joseph don't talk like this, okay? Now, I'm not gonna slander Joseph because he he probably didn't talk all that bad, but the idea is this. This is not common in anybody that's born of mankind. It's like, whoa, where did this graciousness come from? Because it's not something that rises up out of the earth. It's not something that rises up just because you're American or because you're white or because you're black or because you're a woman or because you're a man. This doesn't just flow out of humanity. Matter of fact, it doesn't flow out of humanity. It's something that flows from God to us and it's supposed to flow to other people. 
He's aware that they have the power, our words have the power to build up or to tear down. And he warns us about idle words or destructive words. So think about your words right now. Think about the generosity of words that you have when you come home or when your spouse comes home or what you say at work or let me, or what you say on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. All those wonderful places, all those wonderful places where we and think that we're not accountable to it. But as Christians, we are called to be gracious in our words. He warns us about idle, destructive words. Listen to what he says in Matthew 5. And he's talking to a a group of very religious people. He says, you have heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. That's pretty strong. See, our graciousness or our lack of being gracious with our words is very important. It's what distinguished Jesus from all the other teachers of his day. It was the cascading graciousness of his words that that he spoke while speaking truth and justice at the same time. But he warns us about calling somebody a fool or you good for nothing. And I think it's, it's because these are giving up on you words. These are words, these are a way of communicating, and maybe you don't use these exact words, but, but think about the way that you talk, because what you're saying could be to somebody, I am giving up on you, or there is no hope for you. Just think about it. Ladies, think about what you say to your husband. Because your words, I know he may be kind of macho or whatever, and, and, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's a bunch of bull. I, I am just, a, I, am, I am so dependent on the words of my wife, it's incredible. You know, what she says to me can build me up, strengthen me, send me out the door, pat me on the butt. I particularly like that part. But pat me on the butt and send me out the door and, and have a good day and I'll walk out there with the encouragement of my wife. But you know what? If you're saying words to your spouse, and guys too, but guys particularly with their children. You know, we say things to our kids that no other human would take from us. Other humans would knock us out if we talked to the, them the way that we talk to our kids. But just think about what you're saying to your spouse. Think about the words you're communicating at home. Because you may have said one thing. If you said to your spouse, well, you never do. Let me just say, you have just said, there is no hope for you. If you are saying to your spouse, you always do this. You're basically communicating to your spouse, I'm giving up on you. So think about the graciousness of words and how we talk to people. How we talk to people at work. I mean, when you walk into work, I I know you think that's a different category 
Well, you can talk to them that way, or you can talk to Republicans that way, or you can talk to Democrats that way, or you can talk on Facebook that way because that's not a real place. They're your words, aren't they? He's not talking about what medium you're using. He's talking about whose words are they? And if they're yours, he's holding us accountable to me. He says, listen, I want your words to be gracious. I love what Paul said, and he really, it really stinks. It's Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now is a good Yankee-born but Southern living, charming gentleman that I am. Um, I immediately went to the Greek on this one because I needed some justification because I love me a lot of, lot of nasty words. I mean, I do. My wife told me not to cuss the other day. I, I, I think I said hell. I was like, what the hell is that all about? And she's like, Paul, you need to stop cussing. I'm like, that's not a cuss word. Okay, that's a help in time of need. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, I, that's what that is. That's not a cuss word. And I'm like, you want to hear cuss words? Woman, buckle up. Hope you got an airbag, you know, because we're going to go into some cuss words here. But I looked up unwholesome word, and I was really hoping in the Greek that I could keep words like, like those in my lexicon. And I was hoping it was going to say curse. And I was going to be like, see, I can say socks and all these other words that I say. But it was like, no, don't let anything come out of your mouth that is not elevating a person or edifying another person. Just think about that. Just imagine if there were aliens. You know, we got that new web telescope and we're seeing all those uh, pictures of far away amazing things and galaxies that are the furthest away from the earth and, and all that, and that's really cool. What if there is another, what if there is another species, and I don't care if there is, way at the other end, and they got a telescope, but they're listening to planet Earth. And they're hearing all this, and they're listening. Imagine if all the unwholesome words on planet Earth disappeared. All of a sudden, they'd be like, check the telescope. Where'd Earth go? Where'd Earth go? Because there are so many words that are being multiplied on this planet that are unwholesome. And, and Paul says, hey, if you're gonna talk, say words that are good for edifying in that moment. Well, what about my other thoughts? Keep them to yourself. It's, it's a beautiful act of graciousness. And be ready with a positive word at the, at the need of the moment so that you can give grace, not a piece of your mind, not the right answer so that you can give grace to those who hear. I don't know, that's all, we could end right on that one. And I tell you what, that would heal every marriage in this room. If you're waiting for some fairy to come down from heaven and put dust on your marriage and fix your marriage for you, forget it. You stop speaking unwholesomely to each other and start speaking words that are edification and are good for the moment, I'm telling you, the marriage is going to get better. Everything's going to get better. Absolutely believe it. Okay, let's go to this, the third one. Generosity of mercy. Ooh, oh, this one's hard. This one's really difficult. Um, the disciples asked the question about how much forgiveness and how generous are we supposed to be with this? And, and that's a really good question. It really is a good question. Then Peter came to him and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I'm, I'm willing to bet Peter thought he was being gracious. It was like seven times. 
I mean, just think about people at work that you've allowed speak to you bad. How, how often do they do it to you, right? Once, twice, what a jerk, what a bonehead, you know, doofus. Uh, I'm not going to talk to them again. She's a jerk, you know, once, maybe twice. Peter thinks he's being really good, braggadocious. Seven times, Lord. It's a really good question. But maybe the, the, the question should have been this, and this is how we should phrase it for ourselves. How often do I want to be forgiven by God and others? Yeah, because I know some of you have forgiven me way more than seven times for the stupid things I say up here and the stupid things I've said to you in person. You know, I, I'm, and I want forgiveness and I want that kind of forgiveness from God. And Jesus says, I say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Then he tells this outrageous story. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And as I'm reading this story, think about the person that you're kind of donezo with. You're done with. The king who settled with his accounts with the slaves. When he had begun to settle with them, one who owed him 10,000 talents, that's, that's a lot, was brought to him. And since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which is not very much. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plea with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. See, I think it's really interesting is that there's this crowd that witnesses our forgiveness and then witnesses our lack of forgiveness to the world and the people around us, even in our marriages. And are like, hey, I'm not even a part of this, but you call yourself a Christian and you say that Jesus forgave you of all your sins and now I see how you're treating, how you're talking about your boss at work, how you deal with your wife, how you deal with your husband, how you deal with the, the, the way that you deal with the cashier, you know, and you go all Karen on them or all Billy on them or whatever name we want to use it. It's like the world looks at us it, like, aren't you guys supposed to be different? Weren't you forgiven some great debt and now you live out of this appreciation of generosity and then give it? And that's exactly what happens in the story. The world around them, they were greatly grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that they had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back all that he owed him. 
My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. That is very strong. See, generosity should be amplified within us because of an awareness of the generosity of God. But why do we, why do we wig out in business, on Facebook, with each other, at home? I mean, it's like, is it possible that we have, think that God's forgiveness is scarce? And so therefore we act scarce with it? But he abundantly blessed us through Christ. He graciously gave us forgiveness through Christ. We daily, we are told, we can approach the throne of mercy in times of need. We can boldly go up there and get forgiveness from God. But why is it that we're not gracious with the failures of other people? Now, let me be very clear. This kind of graciousness is not a calling to enable people to do you harm or to abuse you. That's not what it's, Jesus is talking about. So if somebody has opened you up to physical or sexual abuse or, or emotional abuse and constantly you've offered them forgiveness, there are times, even the scriptures say that Jesus did not trust man because he knew what was in the heart of a man. And so even Jesus developed healthy boundaries with abusive people. That it's okay to develop those kinds of safe boundaries. But this is talking about creating a path for that individual to move forward with God and with themselves, even if they have forfeited the privilege of moving forward with you. You can see where this is kind of a delicate question. But we are supposed to be a community of people who flow in generosity of mercy, that when you've made your mis- when somebody's made a mistake in your life, it's not their last mistake they'll ever make. Then there's generosity of success. Wow, we haven't even talked about money yet. Man, this is good. Generosity of success. This is using your fulcrum of success to lift up someone else, like a seesaw. You know, I'm getting to that point in life where pretty much anybody can get on the other end of the seesaw and they go up. And it just has something to do with the amount of weight I'm getting back again. You know, it's just like, yeah, hop on. But that's what success is supposed to be. It's, it's supposed to be a fulcrum that we use your success, your position at work, your, your resources, your wealth, your leverage to lift up another person. That's what, that's what America was supposed to be. I mean, I'm, all, I'm cool with capitalism, but you know, I will tell you this, I don't care whatever form of government that the United States has, that when a people lack generosity, any form of government will fail. The only reason why capitalism doesn't work is because a lot of us don't use it as a fulcrum to lift up other people. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy or successful. But we're gonna see a little bit later that when we don't use our success to lift up other people, then, then you could say, well, that's, America's not that. Well, it's not, that's when it's not Christian. And that's higher than America in my book. Um, so it's looking beyond your own interests and using your success. There's a little chapter in the, in the Bible, a little letter called the book of Philemon. Paul writes a personal letter to a guy named Philemon. People don't usually preach out of it. It's so short, it's like 24 verses. But if you want to become a scholar of one book in the Bible, this is the one to pick. It's the shortest, okay? But he, he writes to Philemon. 
And Philemon is very successful and very influential. He has a slave that ran away. Now, he has, under that law, the right to kill this slave for running away. But the Apostle Paul has leverage with Philemon because he led Philemon to Christ and then taught Philemon about Christ and prayed with Philemon. So he writes a little letter and he says, hey, Philemon, you owe me. You think, wow, that's pretty cocky. It's like, not when it's you owe me for mercy or for truth or for justice. He says, hey, you owe me your life. And it's like, okay, what do you want to use the cabin up in the mountains? No. What do you want to do? You want to have the place down by the beach? No. He's like, no. What I want you to do is when Onesimus, the runaway slave, comes back, I don't want you to kill him. I don't want you to raise a hand against him. Just as I taught you that the Lord has not raised a hand against you. And not only that, listen to how Paul keeps going. When he comes back, I don't want you to treat him like a slave anymore. I want you to treat him like a brother. See, Paul's using his positional leverage as a form of generosity to lift up a situation. See, America needs us to be generous right now. Generous of heart, generous with our words, generous with our success. That's what's going to lift up America. That's what's going to lift up your marriage. That's what's going to lift up your children. Then there's another one, generosity of resource. Now I'm getting into money. Because why, why wouldn't we talk about that? When I talk about resource, I'm talking about money, space, and time. Because those are, seem to be our resources. See, in America, we are barn builders. We have success, we build a barn, and we put our success in there. And my generation as a boomer, we were taught to build really big barns and put our success in there so that we would live our golden years with our barns full. Well, I can tell you what, as being in, almost in my mid-60s, there ain't nothing golden about it, okay? <laughs> Storing stuff up into your barn so that you can have a magnificent life at 80 is a really bad life plan. But we are barn builders, and we put more stuff in our barns. See, capitalism is cool until we lose our generosity. See, the world is against, or let me just say, the 99% is against the 1% because we think they have a problem because they have big barns. No. It's not a problem with how big their barns is. It all comes down to regardless of how big your barn is, whether it's itty bitty or it's gigantic, whether there's one or there's many, it depends on does generosity flow out of it? Jesus was never anti-wealth. He was speaking about the issue of storing up for yourself. That that's a problem, whether you're poor or rich, that's when it becomes a problem. It's not the 1%. It's an issue that we all have. I, I was raised with eight, there was eight children in my family. Okay, so one girl and then seven boys. And um, so when, and I was raised, you know, in the 60s, born in the 50s and 60s. So uh, 
So when we had breakfast, my mom would take carnation instant milk. If you didn't have it before, it was milk that came in a powder form and you would dump it into a gallon jug of warm water and you would stir it and it would become like this milk thing, okay? And, and then, so we would come down and have breakfast in the morning and the milk would have powder clumps in it. Yeah, I suffered greatly. I, as, a, as an American, I was done wrong. No, but there'd be, well, the problem was is that my mom, like she didn't have enough to do, would wait until the morning. And I can remember as an eight-year-old boy fussing at my mother because she would make the, the milk in the morning and not at night and then refrigerate it. So it was warm, powdered milk. And I can remember as an eight-year-old boy, come on, mom. You know, do your job. You know, I know all the ladies are like, I hate this guy. <laughs> but do you know to this day, I don't have a bunch of beer in my fridge, but if I do, you can have it. I don't have, a, you know, bread, you can have it. Steak, you can have it. To this day, don't you dare waste milk in my house. I'm serious. People say, hey, let's get some milk. I'm like, well, are you going to drink it? Because I... I live with a mentality that there is somehow some sort of scarcity of cows on planet Earth. Hey, just a side note. Do you know why, <laughs> do you know why we call it cows have hooves instead of feet? Because they lactose. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've been practicing for the last six weeks with dad jokes. But here's the thing, generosity of resource. We all have space, we all have time. We're, you're gonna hear about that we have small groups starting up. And that's gonna be calling you to be generous with your time and with your space. Jesus said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Every form of greed, every form of greed. I didn't see that before, I just saw it. I thought there was only one kind of greed, like greed of money. No, he's talking about every form of greed. Uh, being greedy with your time, being greedy with your recreation, being greedy with your thoughts, being greedy with your positive words, being greedy. I mean, he says every form of, I did not know that. I didn't realize you could be greedy with other things other than money. But he's warning us about what we're holding up in our barns that other people may need. For even when one has an abundance, which is not a sin, does his life consist of his possessions? And he told a parable to them. And the land had a rich man who was very productive, not a sin, and began reasoning to himself, here we go. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build larger barns, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, not somebody else's soul, I will say to my soul, you have many good laid up things for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. I guess he can call people fools uh, because he died for them. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Can you see this? 
let it stop this warring between whites and blacks and one percenters and 99 percenters and Democrats and Republicans. This is all about how we use our resources. You can be poor and be bad with your resources. You can be wealthy and be bad with your resources. And, and, and he's like, the problem's not happening with those who have. The problem is, is when we have anything, any form of something, and we fail to share it with others around us. There are just real quick, three barns, I think, where God wants us to open up. He wants you to open your wallet or your purse or your satchel or whatever it is or your PayPal account or Venmo or whatever it is. I was so proud when I heard that Crosstown, through the leadership of Tina Ward, raised enough money for the Low Country Pregnancy Center to help 533 women with their children. That is impressive. Um, opening up your wallet. We're also doing a drive for foster um, children that are in foster care, and we need bunches of school supplies. It's like, this is the time when we open up our wallet. Opening up your home. We're gonna be having a meeting this week, and we're inviting you to host a small group. Say, well, I don't got what it takes. Do you got space? Do you got time? You got what it takes. It's open up your barn. Opening up your schedule. Giving a person your time is an affirming gift. That is so big. I didn't realize that before. That I'm not real good at this. Is that I want, if you need help, I'll help you. And we'll schedule something and I'll help you. But I didn't think that me just being with you in some way helped. Maybe I think less of myself than I should. Maybe every one of us thinks less of ourselves than we should. Maybe us husbands need to think of ourselves more spending time with our wives and wives with husbands and dads with kids and mothers with kids. And is that when you open your schedule for somebody, you are affirming them. It's a powerful way to be gracious. So I don't think sitting in front of me today is a bunch of stingy, no good people. I think for a lot of people, I think we're afraid of scarcity. We've been kind of raised to think you gotta get yours before somebody else gets yours. And God is like, no, I've called you to be generous. Generous with your, your spirit, be approachable. Be, allow somebody that's made a terrible, be, be gracious with your mercy. Stop putting numbers over people's head or words that say things like doofus, idiot, jerk. Not anymore, you're dead to me. God's like, hey, how about pulling those down? Stop, or be careful about your words. Stop complaining at every restaurant that you go to about everything, about the service, you know? Stop complaining about your spouse all the time. 
Speak words over your children that edify, that are right for the moment. The world is watching. And they, they're expecting us who have been saved graciously to behave graciously with the world around them. They're watching. So let your graciousness flow. And if you're like me and you weren't born with a gracious heart, you're like Joseph. This is Joseph's son. If you're like every other human, we weren't born with a lot of graciousness. We were born with a lot of dog-eat-dog type of mentality. Let me ask you, invite you, as you come and receive communion, see this as the graciousness of heaven extending itself to you, that God gave you the most valuable thing he owns, his beloved son. And while you take communion, as you go back to your seat, and as we have a song of worship, instead of thinking about getting to your car and getting out of here, can I ask you to just invite God to give you the Holy Spirit and to fill you with an unnatural, a supernatural graciousness for your marriage, for the world around you. Father, thank you so much that Crosstown is not a church where we all just get together because we all agree about the same political issues or that we're all Democrats, we're all Republicans, we're all white, we're all black, we're all, you know, God, we're all here because you're gracious. We're here because you withheld no good thing from us by freely giving us your son. And you tell us today, will you not also through him give us every good thing? Let us be a community of people who are known for our graciousness. We don't break a Bruce Reed. We don't snuff out a different opinion but we gently and kindly and graciously bring forth truth and justice, just like Jesus did. Father, fill us today with your gracious mercy and spirit.